I'm Nicole Lappin, the only financial expert you don't need a dictionary to understand. It's time for some money rehab. Yesterday, I gave you some background on the rise and fall of Silicon Valley Bank. If you haven't checked that out yet, I would say give that a listen next. Today, we're going to give more texture and context to the headlines with two special guests. I wanted to give perspective from someone who is still in the trenches dealing with this, because even though there is some resolution from the FDIC, there are some people who are still very much in the throes of an unresolved, unexpected financial conundrum. These people are mostly founders. For example, founders who have all the monies from their recent fundraising round tied up in SVB, or founders who use SVB for their primary bank account to pay out payroll. So today you'll hear from Ashley Mills, co-founder and co-CEO of Obey Fitness. And then next, I wanted to zoom out and give you some broader perspective from someone who has been in the trenches before in similar macroeconomic conditions. So second, you'll hear from Gary Kaminsky. Gary is a veteran finance guy, formerly the vice chairman of Morgan Stanley Global Wealth Management. He's looked death in the eye during the financial crisis of 08. He's got a lot of perspective and a lot to say. So let's start with Ashley. Here she is. Ashley Mills. I was going to say Ashley Davis because I know you for that long. Welcome to Money Rehab. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. It's been like a minute since I've seen you, and congratulations on the network. Thank you, and congratulations on Obey, and I want to get to all of that, but should we tell our listeners how we know each other? Sure. It goes all the way back to your maiden name and also a decade ago? More than a decade ago. I think it was more than a decade ago. We were babies. So I was your agent at CAA and doing lots of different deals for you in the news space and sort of non-scripted television. And it's it's so nice to like see where you are today and like the incredible platform that you've built. Well, back at you. For those who don't know about your amazing company that you started with another agent from CAA, you guys burned your corporate bras yeah. and you went into entrepreneurialism. You started Obey. If anyone doesn't know what that is, can you explain? Sure. So we are a digital fitness solution. So think like Jane Fonda of the modern age. So workouts that you can do from home and the gym, you know, whether they're audio only or video, we have this really incredible platform. Um, and we also do like 12 live classes a day. So it really is meant to be a platform that anyone can use anywhere to get a really, really great workout. You've built this company into a venture backed company. Yes. How many employees? Yeah, we are about 50 full time employees. Um, and we started five years ago and we've done, we did a seed, a pre seed, and a series A. The series A was, you know, in last uh, the summer of 21. So it's been it's been like quite an adventure getting here for sure. We actually just celebrated our fifth birthday on Thursday. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, I want to get back to that day, actually. Uh, so SVB was Obey's bank. And that is the primary reason we're chatting today, not just to catch up. So I want to build a timeline for what things look like on your end, starting with you know, when exactly did you feel like something was off or fishy? Sure. So on Thursday evening, we were getting a flurry of calls and texts from investors and lawyers who were like, hey, have you seen this? Like, you should probably take your money. And so, you know, followed 
followed all of that. We needed to get board approval in order to do so because in SVB's agreements, they require that you do all of your banking there as well as like any debt facilities, like everything is, is at this bank. And so, yeah, in order to breach that contract, we needed to get that approval. And unfortunately, we didn't get the approval until a little too late. So like six o'clock was the deadline to send a wire. We did not get it in on time. And so, you know, the next day on there, on the SVB site, it said it was processing put another watch, try to do another wire transfer, still processing. And then Friday evening or midday, I guess, is when the bank was taken over by the FDIC. And then the site went down completely and said it was sort of like closed for maintenance throughout the weekend. So it's been a harrowing, you know, last 72 hours kind of like getting through this. And, you know, I think no one knows kind of what to do in this situation because it's not something that any of us have experience with in our lifetimes. We're figuring it out as we go and, and trying to manage the best that we can. It's so insane. I can't imagine uh, the anxiety that you're going through. When your investors called you or your advisors, what were they telling you? And what made you feel like you needed to take action immediately? They were telling us, hey, this is this is happening, you know, trying to explain the alchemy of why the situation is this situation. And that a lot of other companies that are similar size and stage and much larger are taking their money out and moving it. And so that was the headline. And, you know, people were really concerned and scared. And obviously, like, you know, in hindsight, everyone was sort of having those conversations, which um, in part sort of caused all of this. And yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see what what we write about this in in history books in years to come i mean i i can't i wish i knew <laughs> when did you actually find out that the bank collapsed yeah i found out the bank collapsed when everyone else did so um i just got like a new york times alert and was like okay i guess here we are um and not really knowing what that meant you know obviously i'm an entrepreneur and i have bank accounts but like i'm texting my banking friend like what does it mean to close what does it mean to be seized what happens with my money? There's just so many unanswered questions. And still there are many unanswered questions, you know, 72 hours later. But this is a it's a wild, a wild ride for sure. So you posted something on social that I, I'd love to read, actually. I have it in front of me. Uh, this all happened the day after Obey's fifth birthday. So you said on Friday, March 10th, the morning after we celebrated Obey's fifth birthday, we learned that Silicon Valley Bank collapsed, which is where we held a majority of the cash we used to run our company. We know we'll be able to make our next payroll, uh, but we didn't know. There's a typo. <laughs> You guys were getting it out really fast. Okay. But we didn't know when we'd be able to access the majority of the money we used to operate our business. So why did you decide to give your community a peek into what was going on? Yeah, I think in these moments and certainly what we learned from COVID, which in some ways feels very similar when you rally your community, because that's at the end of the day what we are. We have a really incredible technical platform and you know we produce content all day, every day. But the heart of what we are is community. And, you know, we are of the belief that, like, if you show up for people, they will show up for you. And we have always shown up for people in a very, in a very meaningful way when they needed it the most. And it, it felt appropriate. I think in this moment of just feeling deeply unsettled and really unclear about what happens next, we thought it would be appropriate to, to let people in on it because we knew that they would support us. And the level of overwhelm, I honestly can't even explain. 
we, you know, told people like, Hey, here's a discount to go buy something in our shop or upgrade your membership. If there is something that you can do for us, or even just like share this post, like let other people know who we are and that we're going through this. And if they're interested in, in our platform. And so it was, it was really incredible to see the way that like people, you know, they, they did whatever they could. And even just like, you know, to, to have people checking in on us and it's, it's not just about me or about Mark. It really is about our team because we're all sort of dealing with this in real time and we've built an incredible community. And um, I know that they would want to know what was going on with us. So we're talking on Monday, March 13th. Is mm-hmm. Your account is still frozen. The FDIC hasn't sent you any money yet or what's going on? No, we have not heard. We've not heard from anyone. And when we go, you know, it was a frenzy, I'm sure, on the um, SVB website today. So we weren't able to get access to any of our capital. It would just, there was a loading screen and then an error. Yeah. So a 404. So we'll, we're just going to keep trying and keep refreshing and we'll get there when we get there. You seem so incredibly calm and composed, by the way, and I've known you forever and you are so calm under pressure, but I got to say, like talking to other founders, they are far from the vibe you are giving off right now. Like what is keeping you going? Faith, hope, just taking it day by day. Yeah, um, I actually, so I, I don't think I have been as calm as perhaps I am portending, but I actually did a restorative yoga class before we got on the phone. I have not really moved my body. And that is like my thing that I do every single day to make sure that like my mind is right. And so while I couldn't do a workout, I, I chose to do a restorative yoga class and I think it, it calmed my nervous system. So I think that's, that's what you're getting. You're getting the obey afterglow of restorative yoga for sure. <laughs> You're not only the founder, but you're also a customer. Yes, 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 yes. All day long. So what is the mood amongst your investors right now? Yeah, I I think everyone is just sort of trying to keep it together and wait. Like that's what this is. It's a waiting game. I hope there is some grand plan and this is all going to sort itself out in in a short amount of time. But yeah, I think everyone is just sort of like waiting and trying to figure out what information they can get from other people to understand the the experience. Are they getting wires? Are they not? You know, are, is the site still down? Like what, what are the covenants of our agreements? Like what do they mean and how do they hold up in this post FDIC seizure world? I want to double click on just a little bit more about how you're feeling when the news was coming out this weekend. Uh, you know, is this like a massive sigh of relief on Sunday night when you found out that, you know, things were going to be okay? Yeah. So we, what I, how I read that was, you know, obviously, and it's really, um, it's really wonderful. Like, thank God the government stepped in. Certainly for us, I, I can't even imagine it if that weren't the case. Um, but I, there are still so many open questions. There was, you know, three paragraphs of text, um, in this joint statement by, um, the Fed, Treasury, and FDIC, and it doesn't answer all, all of our questions. It was very broad because what I am trepidatious of as a leader is the trust that I have with my team and the trust of our community. And so I don't want to, I don't think that we can claim victory on this yet because I still don't have any answers. Um, so I know part of what the money is that we have there will be released to us, but I was supposed to have it today and we don't. And so I am trying to just be really cognizant of how I communicate what I communicate, keeping people, keeping people informed without, you know, creating the sense of like, it's over, it's done. Let's move on with our lives because we're not there yet. Those were the things that were running through my mind of like, how do we get these questions answered on a Sunday night? And even today, obviously there's, there's no, there's still no answers. Yeah. I just, you know, take it one day at a time or whatever. whatever it is. I'm trying. 
You're doing great. I'm trying. More restorative yoga will be needed. What do you think makes for good communication to employees during a time like this? Like, obviously, it was a masterclass on what not to do from the CEO of SVB. Uh, we got some communications from inside the company, actually. And I was reading the internal emails and I was like, what the actual F? Like, this is what not to do, I think. Tell people don't panic. Exactly what they're going to do is panic. Exactly. I think that, you know, obviously we don't have any control in this situation. We're not in the driver's seat here. All we, all I can do as a leader is just be very honest and not to make something sound better than it is. Um, I think that just the transparency is how you build and maintain trust and just trying to like read everything I can be connected to anybody who's going to have good information so that we get it as fast as it's available. And then we can communicate it out because yeah, who, who knows what's next, but I just always want to be, I, I want to come from a place always of like authenticity and to make sure that everyone, you know, on our team understands what's going on and understands it like in the same way that I understand it. And so if any, yeah, I think if we learned anything from COVID, it's just like that radical transparency is really important, even when it's tough news. So what is happening with your employees right now? Do you feel like people are calm? They have a sense that they're going to get paid and all of that? Yeah, yeah. So we we assured them from, um, you know, as soon as we knew that we, they would be paid, that they would be. And so, yeah, they're aware we had a, a nice meeting today. Not there was no there's no meaningful update other than just to like hold space for people and sort of letting them know the latest that we know, which is not a whole lot. Um, and then we were we were in touch um, at the end of last week and then over the weekend. So, again, like you can't you can't sugarcoat this stuff. Um, we just have to sort of tell people what's going on and be as transparent as you can and let them know that, you know, that it's a really not great situation. And that, again, we'll all sort of band together and figure out how to make it, you know, how to make it out on the other end. Have you been talking to other founders? I have lots of um, lots of amazing text messages and WhatsApp threads. There was actually another female founder, God bless her, who is not with SVB, um, who reached out to me and said, like, if you need a personal or if you need a, a loan from my company, we weren't there. So like happy to do it for you. It's just like, it's been absolutely incredible the way that people have really shown up for the, for each other, even competitors. Like, you know, we're all kind of, we're all in this um, in boat together and, and need to figure out how we push forward. Are there any resources that you picked up or pieces of advice from the WhatsApp threads or or texts with other founders to figure this out? Sure. I, I think that the like the next step, there's a lot, I'm sure many next steps for me, but one of the biggest learnings and next steps for me is figuring out how we should set up these accounts, accounts in the future so that all of it is insured. You know, I think we did what traditional founders do is like you go raise money and then you do, you know, you do a facility with them, you do your banking with them and everything is together. And that's just really not, not a great recipe for making sure that things are safe in a, in a situation like this. So I look forward to, you know, again, in the like days to come, just figuring out like our banking relationship and making sure that we're always safe and we're diversified and that something like this couldn't hurt us again. Yeah. Like the financial engineering component. The stuff that you know so well that I don't know. Those are the things that I'm learning. Hardly. I mean, honestly, I went into my bank account and I don't bank with SVB. But this weekend I was like, I'm going to take anything over the insured amount and I'm going to put it somewhere else because I didn't even think. And, you know, that's a lot of money for an individual. But for a business like that's you know, 250 grand is is not a lot of operating capital for, for a long time, depending on how many employees you have. No, that's exactly right. So yeah, I think I'm going to, I'm going to look a little harder on my personal um, as well, just to make sure that I'm 
really protected for whatever, you know, whatever the world has in store for us. Beyond this specific story, founders deal with all sorts of crisis. It's like crisis whack-a-mole, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, What advice would you give other founders on how to prepare for black swan events? Because I'm assuming beyond all modeling and like your SWOT analysis, there were no threats that like the bank would close. Right. Yeah. This is this is not something that I ever um, planned for. Yeah, we've we've been through some crazy things. Like even um, you know, obviously during COVID, when you know there was the stay at home order, and we had to close our studio, and also tr- like, was there a way that we could um, be able to reopen and start creating content again? And so there's yeah, there's so many things that we have we have had to face in the last five years. But I will say my advice for entrepreneurs is like, don't do it unless it is like the only thing that you can do, like the only thing you can imagine pouring your life into because it is so all consuming and it's, you know, the highs are high, the lows are low, but it is not for the faint of heart. So I know everyone says like, go be a girl boss and go be an entrepreneur. And while I certainly am that way um, in that that fits for me from a, you know, wanting to be an entrepreneur and wanting to serve my community with like a very, very specific product. I don't know that entrepreneurship is for everyone. You have to have a really thick skin and be able to deal with things that are not uh, are not easy. Well, you're amazing. I'm so proud of you. I'm so impressed by all of the things. I will let you go and deal with like a major <laughs> banking crisis right now. Um, but thanks for taking the time to talk. That was my conversation with Ashley that honestly, I kind of can't believe even happened. Because again, reminder, she is in the thick of the most tense situation some founders will ever have to face, most likely at least since 2008. And speaking of 08, here's Gary to give his macro perspective on how we got here, where we've been and where we're going. So we're going to dive into the ins and outs of SVB. I can't talk about anything else right now. Like it's nonstop. It was nonstop over the weekend. Do you agree that this is like the most tense week since COVID or maybe even since the financial crisis? Well, I would actually, I'm not going to compare it to COVID. I'm going to compare it much more to the financial crisis in 2008 in the sense that the type of calls I got were much more focused on things like liquidity access to capital, very similar, you know, it was a, a, a tremendous flashback to me personally to 2008, 2009. Yeah, the threads that I was on and the calls that I had were similarly wild. Like I could not believe some of the doomsday stuff that different founders or CEOs were talking about with where to put their money and they weren't even in SVB. I mean, it was, it, it felt like really touch and go. So let's talk about that deja vu, mortgage-backed securities, bank failures. I mean, let's do some time traveling, go back to 08. Can you remind listeners of the big issues that led to the 08 crisis and compare some of the similarities and some of the differences to this current situation? Well, let's just start with how are there similarities? Similarities are, that's the easiest thing to approach, which is that the banking system globally is based on confidence. I was at the Lakers uh, Nick game last night. And in addition to enjoying a great basketball game, everybody seemed to be on their phones and talking about what was happening and talking to each other. And I just struck up a conversation with somebody in the payments business who had mentioned to me, what did I think the actual amount of money in the system that actually floats on any given day? And what I mean by that and why this is very important for the listeners to understand 
is that the analysis that was presented to me yesterday, and I'm not exactly sure, although I think it is probably close to right, if not right, is that only probably about 1% of the actual money that exists between credit, uh, between savings, deposits, um, securitized products that are linked to money, only about maybe 1% of the money actually floats in the system. That means you go to the bank, hey, I want you know $500 in cash, and you go to a store, um, so let's say it's between one and 5%, but that other 95% based on the confidence that when you put your money in a bank or when you borrow money from a bank or when a bank lends out that money, that, that the transaction is going to, is going to close. I mean, simply put, and the type of calls that I had, um, in 2008 related to getting access to my money, people going to local bank branches and taking money out was the fear of, I'm going to go to an ATM machine and I'm going to want to get my money, but having nothing to do with anything I did, I'm not going to have access to that money because that bank is frozen. So there's where the similarities lie. The difference from, without getting too uh, inside baseball here, the difference is in 2008, 2009, there was a lot of Wall Street money that was given to businesses that lent that money out to people that we're not going to be able to repay that money. That's not what happened here. Hold on to your wallets. Money Rehab will be right back. And now for some more Money Rehab. What happened here is that money, in fact, money flooded into banks in COVID. And at the time, there was 0% interest rates. When there was 0% interest rates, people were comfortable putting money in banks and just accepting the fact that they weren't going to get anything in return. It was the safety and security of having your money in the bank. You know, if you were lucky, maybe you got 10 basis points. Well, in the last several months, that has changed dramatically. And as a result of that, banks have been under tremendous pressure to maintain deposits which they use to fund the other side of the bank. People put money in, they lend money out. And so there's been this tremendous pressure to um, uh, maintain the deposit base. And in the case of uh, Silicon Valley Bank, which you know for years and years was one of the at least perceived best managed banks in terms of uh, risk management, um, they took a, this tremendous amount of inflow of money that was raised by many of their clients. Um, and then they went out and they took tremendous risk by buying longer duration paper, assuming that their clients were not going to be asking for that cash. Let's go back to what I said. 95% of the money that floats in the system is based on the belief that when I need it, I can get it. Okay, wait, hold on. You're doing a couple of jargony things that I'm just going to stop you on for a sec so we could decode them. So longer duration paper, that just means longer term bonds. So can you explain how that works? Yes. So the client goes into Silicon Valley Bank and they deposit $5,000 into their account. And for years, they were happy with no interest on that deposit. As the Fed started raising rates and taking interest rates from 0% to where they are now, depositors want return on their money. In the case of Silicon Valley Bank, they went and they bought mortgage-backed securities, close to $80 billion of mortgage-backed securities on a $200 billion base. And they put that money into interest rate-bearing securities that were going to pay them more than 0% because they wanted to create a return on that money. As the customers started to need that money, 
the price of those bonds, the 10-year bonds that they had purchased, went down in value because those bonds went down in value when interest rates were going up because the same 10-year duration, bonds that are going to mature at par in 10 years have gone up. Those The ones that they bought went down in value. The ones that are in the marketplace now have gone up in value. Therefore, there's a loss. In order for them to raise the money- To sell it early. Just correct. To, to, sell, yeah. to sell before the 10-year period. They picked up not even 1% by going that far out under the belief that their customers, they weren't going to have a uh, a, ne- a massive need for this tremendous liquidity before the 10-year period. In, in hindsight, you know, looking at this as somebody who has been in the industry for, for many, many decades, they were under pressure, much like many of the financial banks, that they had to try to keep the deposits in-house. So this is like a masterclass in bonds. Bonds are really confusing to understand the mechanics of, right? Because when the interest rate goes up, the price falls. And then if you sell it, you get this discount thing. So essentially what Silicon Valley Bank did was a great explainer, although it wasn't a great move, it was a great explainer to folks to understand how bonds work. So they buy this 10-year bond and the interest rate goes up. And if you want to sell that now, you have to sell that at a loss in the price. So the price goes down, the interest rate goes up. It's like saying, hey, I have a $100 bond that I want to sell you at 3% or a $100 bond that I want to sell you at 1.8%. Obviously, this is not a trick question. You're going to take the one with the higher interest rate. So because they had to sell it, they had to take less money than they paid for it by selling it early. And and they had to recognize the loss. And because they are a financial institution that is, is regulated and have to have a certain amount of capital, when they took the $1.8 billion loss on selling the bonds in order to have the money so that their customers could get their withdrawals, that loss, you are or I personally, if we had to sell those bonds, we take the loss, we've lost the money, but there's not an offset to that. In the case of a financial institution, they've got to go out and raise additional capital because they have to have a certain amount of capital on their balance sheet as a regulated entity. I think also, let's point out, you gave the example of the bond prices going down because yields have gone up. We opened the conversation talking about in COVID. If you remember in COVID, bond prices shot up dramatically because yields plummeted uh, with the idea that the Fed was going to basically pump so much money uh, into the system to save the economy. So it works both ways. You can have a gain in a in a bond price as well as a loss. In the last year and a half, most bonds that were purchased pr- prior have been losses. But for almost a 20-year period, when you bought a bond, if you sold it before maturity, you actually had a gain. Now, if you buy a bond, at par at $100 and you hold it to maturity and you don't have to worry about marking it to market as an individual uh, as opposed to a financial institution, you're going to get your money back plus your interest uh, payments. So, you know, for a lot of the viewers, it's important to remember that if you buy a bond and you have a 3% interest yield or a coupon on that bond and you don't have to sell it before maturity, you will get your money back assuming the credit is good. Um, it's the interim movements based on where other prevailing uh, financial instruments are trading based on interest rates. Yeah, they were they sold it because they had to. And that's never a great time to sell stuff in a fire sale or out of desperation. Well, of course, that gets really back to the importance of on an individual basis, 
you have to know your asset allocation. In a sense, this is no different than what you and I have talked about many times, making sure that you have your financial investments lined up properly. We end the episodes with a tip listeners can take straight to the bank. So for listeners who are anxious right now about the safety of their money, they are stressed out, what would your tip be? The greatest thing you can do right now with this uncertainty, because you'll actually get paid, is you get paid to buy short-term treasury bills that are backed by the U.S. government. And so I will tell you what I've told my children, what I do with my own money, and what I've actually done with the cash that my mother-in-law asked me about this morning. I buy six-month T-bills, maybe one-year T-bills if you know for certain you don't need to access the money. And guess what? It's a great time to get paid and watch and not have to worry about it. Money Rehab is a production of Money News Network. I'm your host, Nicole Lappin. Money Rehab's executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. Our researcher is Emily Holmes. Do you need some money rehab? And let's be honest, we all do. So email us your money questions, moneyrehab at moneynewsnetwork.com to potentially have your questions answered on the show or even have a one-on-one intervention with me. And follow us on Instagram at moneynews and TikTok at moneynewsnetwork for exclusive video content. And lastly, thank you. No, seriously, thank you. Thank you for listening and for investing in yourself, which is the most important investment you can make.